Praise the Lord. Isn't it good to be in church today, folks? Hey, man, so good to see you here this morning. We welcome you to Gap Hill Church of God and excited about what is going to happen in this place today. Every time we come into the presence of God, it's a special day because we never know what's going to happen when we get there. That's the way church is. That's the way God is. He's full of surprises. And so today, we have a little special kickoff to the service, and that is the little Stone Baldwin. So I'm going to ask our youth pastors, these are our youth pastors, Dylan and Hillary, and Stone to come on to the stage this morning. I'm excited. Cute little fella. I'm not talking about Dylan, I'm talking about the baby. And uh, I think it was last week, my wife asked me, um, I believe it was last Saturday, oh, you can come on, buddy, if you want to. You can come on up, Denver, if you want to. Come sit with us, man. Yeah, come on. He, he's got a bow tie, and he's been struggling with that thing all morning. I asked him how it was going. He kind of pulled his neck. I said, it's tied, isn't it? That's why I don't wear them. So uh, anyhow, you can loosen ties. This baby is just really alert this morning. And so I believe it was last week, she asked me, said, don't we have a baby dedication? And I freaked out and said, we have another baby dedication? Because I wasn't ready for it. But it was actually this week, so I felt better. But man, we are, we are having more baby dedications this year than I think we've ever had. And the end of last year, it has just been a wonderful season. And it's, it's interesting because we're on our series and we'll close it today good lord willing but we've been talking about the church what's right with the church and today our theme is the future of the church and so it's it's kind of cool to me because this is your future this is your future ladies and gentlemen and a few weeks back we talked about our kids and how talented they are and this is our future, and I preached to you a few weeks back that your church is safe because of the kids that are coming up in it, and so that's a blessing today. I want to start off with reading a scripture, and I want to read it from Jeremiah. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before, this is powerful, before you were even born the Bible says I set you apart I appointed you as a prophet to the nations this is the response from him he says oh sovereign Lord I said I can't speak for you because I'm too young but the Lord replied don't say I'm too young for you must go wherever I send you and whatever I tell you and don't be afraid of the people for I will be with you I'll protect you and I declare this over Stone's life today. Says the Lord, I have spoken it. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and he said, look, I have put my words in your mouth. And that's the declaration that I want to make over him today. That the Lord has already put his words in his mouth. And that he is going to declare to many generations the goodness of God. See, he's already starting to cry about it. He's feeling it. He's really feeling it this morning. I, I know it's, it's going to be okay. That's the way I felt when God called me to preach too. Anyhow, uh, 
Chevy, I want, I, I want y'all to figure out what our youth pastor does in, in the back so your kids need, need to go down there sometime. Play that little video for me there, Chevy. Make sure you got, pause that music for just a minute. I, I want everybody to see the words are in Stone's mouth already. Give that a little more volume. I couldn't hear it good. I, I, let's do that one more time. He, what he's saying is he's saying, um, don't everybody shout it once or you'll ruin my message, I think. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. All right, guys, let's go. I want to give you guys this. I want to um, have a Bible with Stone Davis Baldwin written on it. And then this, of course, the birth certificate as well. I'm going to give you that, or the birth from us a dedication certificate not the actual birth certificate all right this is the kingdom of god stuff all right i'm gonna get you guys to come down if the family would come with me that would be wonderful this morning and i'm, I'm gonna hold stone here in a minute but we'll wait till i get ready to pray yes we'll wash our hands this guy's sharp We lopsided every time we take photos like this. And you can grab one when I said the prayer of blessing if you don't mind. I'd like that. All right, guys. Hey, buddy. How's it going, man? Let's turn you this way so everybody can see you. You like this? Yes. All right, guys, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for Stone. We thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that is on his life. Father, as we pray today, like Jeremiah, put your words in his mouth. We are praying that you would anoint him even as a baby, even as a young man growing up. We are asking you that we'd see the hand of God in his life, that we would know when we see his life that there's something special happening. There's something special going on. It's the hand of God. It's the anointing of God on his life. And so today we dedicate him to you. Today we give him to you, and we're asking you to take him and use him in your kingdom in such a special way that it would change the world, and we'll thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Can somebody declare amen? Good baby. All right, guys. God bless you. Give these guys a hand clap. God bless you guys. Love you. Good morning. Let's stand together. Have you come to bless the Lord? Have you come to bless the Lord today? Lord, we lift you in this place. We magnify you. We glorify you, oh God. Let's sing it together. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to you. We turn to you.
and strength to face the day. Thank you, Lord. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. Thank you, Lord. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. They're washed away. of God, God's response to Job and what he was going through. And it said, where were you when I formed the wild donkey in your mouth? Where are you when the babies are born in the wild? Where is the snow kept? Do you know where the snow is kept in the storehouses? God, I thought, God, how awesome you are. There's no one like our God. He created everything that ever was and ever will be. He is ruler of all. Everything on this earth is his. And Lord, we are in your hands right now in this place. We glorify you. We bless you and praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. You alone are worthy, Lord Jesus. Let's sing this together. You alone deserve my worship. You alone deserve my praise. Yeah. 
makes me want to shout hallelujah thank you jesus lord you're worthy all the glory and all the honor all of the praise makes me want to shout hallelujah i thank you jesus lord you're worthy of all of our glory and all the honor and all the praise what a mighty god we serve today amen thank you guys so much this morning wonderful singing that you guys have done today thank you musicians, singers, everybody. Can we give them a hand clap today for leading us into the presence of God? I certainly, certainly do appreciate that today. God is good, isn't he? Amen. I want to go to the book of Revelation chapter 3, and we are continuing our series on what is right with the church. Today is supposed to be the last day of that, and so hopefully... I'll be able to finish today, and we can move on to Easter Sunday next week. It has been an um, interesting uh, series. I've enjoyed it, and um, we started off, for you that are new to it, we started off with the favor of the church, the fellowship of the church, and um, we've talked about, uh, what else did we talk about? I'm trying to remember, fellowship, favor, the faith of a church, that was last week. Man, you're good, Brian. What was the other one? The fire of the church. This is all from memory. Thank y'all. Today we talk about the future of the church. So I'm excited about today. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. I know thy works, God said. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. I know all the things that you do. I've opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and you did not deny me. Verse 10, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing. This is important here. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. They will never have to leave it. I will write on them the name of God. They'll be citizens in the city of God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone who has ears must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. There's one thing that we are interested in today, and that is in the future. Amen. Anybody interested in your future? Anybody in here don't care about the future? Don't care if you have a house tomorrow. Don't care if you have a car to drive. Don't care if it blows up tomorrow morning. You just don't care. There's not many people like that here today. A matter of fact, there are many of us today that are making plans for tomorrow already. We go home, we pack lunch boxes, right? Parents know what I'm talking about. If you're just having babies and you don't know yet, you are going to know. We're interested in the future. You've probably never considered it much, but much of your existence today is based on investments that you've made for your tomorrow. It's all about the future. 
Now we can talk about one of those songs, and I love the song, I've sung the song, it's an old one, one day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking of you. Lord, give me the strength to do, anybody know what I'm talking about? One day at a time, we can sing the one day at a time songs all that we want, and they have their time and their place, but the bottom line is simply this, we are looking toward the future. We can talk about the past, we can even talk about today, but inside of every man and woman in this building, there is something in us that wants to know what the future is going to look like. When a person gets married, they get married with the future in mind. They don't get married and think, man, I can't wait, we're going to be divorced in six months. When they get married, they tell the vows, until death do us part. I'm going to love you when you ugly, I'm going to love you when you pretty. I'm going to love you when you're young. I'm going to love you when you're old. I'm going to love you when you make me angry, and I'm going to love you when you make me sad. I'm going to love you when you're sick. I'm going to love you when you are well. We make plans when we marry for the future with that person. A couple decides one day after marriage, we're going to have some kids, and so they have kids. They have kids with the future in mind. They start a savings account. They think, man, college is getting higher and higher. We are preparing for what is to come. When we get our job, we have a future in mind. When we make investments, they're based upon hopes for the future. I ride around oftentimes and I see fortune tellers. Now a lot of times they're called spiritual advisors. They dot the land everywhere you're going. You see a spiritual advisor, a spiritual advisor here, a fortune teller here. And what they're looking for is misguided souls that just want somebody to tell them about the future. They want to know what is going to happen tomorrow. What can I look forward to? And they go and they're misguided. It's much like King Saul that we read of in the scriptures. At one point, he's a man of God. He's anointed of God. Everything is going great for him, but he falls away from the faith. He steps aside to his flesh, and the Bible says that eventually, after God had rejected him as king, that he went and found and sought out a witch, the witch of Endor, trying to give him better news for his future. But God had already told him it wasn't going to get better, it was going to get worse. And so I don't understand the scripture totally, but she conjures up a spirit and Samuel comes, and when Samuel gets there, he looks at him and says, I know you want me to tell you something good, but your days are numbered. God's spirit has left you, departed from you. The throne is no longer yours. It's been given to a shepherd boy by the name of David. Even when he went to the fortune teller to try to get good news, even the devil couldn't lie to him because God had already spoken over his life. Every time I ride by one of those places, by the way, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. You ought to do the same too. Every time I ride by one, I say, God, close it down in the name of Jesus. It's from the devil. It's from hell. Don't trust a fortune teller to tell you. Don't trust a tarot card reading to tell you where you're going. What you need to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one that knew you before you were born. He already knows what your future looks like. The 900 psychic 900 numbers are available. Now we can sit in the comfort of our living room of our homes and have someone predict our future right there over the phone. Future is a big business. 
When people buy stocks, they are sold according to the strength of the past, but they look at the projection of the future of where it's headed or the potential that it has. People are looking for something to buy into. They are looking for something that is a good investment. If I could tell you today, you can give me $500, and many scam artists do this, you can give me $500, and I promise you this time next year I'm going to bring you back 5000 How many people can I get to sign up? And then I'm going to the Bahamas. Thank you, Jesus. But today I'm here to tell you about a future. Today I'm here to tell you about the best investment you will ever make in your life. For every dollar that you put in, for your time, for your children, for your education, for your marriage, and yes, for your eternity. The eternity, the best investment you can ever invest in is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I guarantee you that if you will invest in the church, you will have a return investment like you never dreamed possible. You'll be able to say, thank God that my kids aren't in jail like his little buddies are. Thank God that they're not addicted to dope and all these worldly things like these other people are. We can celebrate. It is all because you put an investment in them in the future of the church. There's going to be times that you're going to write your check or your offering or your tithes and you're going to think to yourself, I can't afford this. I can't do this. Why would I do this? But I'm telling you, you are investing in the kingdom of God. And God will return to you, pressed down, shaken together, 100-fold. Get ready for it. When you invest in the church, blessings are on the way. Bills are getting paid that you normally couldn't pay. Miracles are coming in your mailbox. You can't even understand it. It is because of the investment that you put in. I promise you it will pay off. But in our world today, every week we are seeing new reports of major layoffs. Anybody know what Facebook is? If there's anybody in this room that doesn't know what Facebook is, you are really still living in the good old days. I envy you. Today, or last week they put out a report that said we're about to lay off 10,000 people from jobs. Financial cornerstones in our world that we have put our trust in, that we have put our money in, that we have invested in for so long are being shaken. You just saw just the other week that SVB or the Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. Had over 200, I think 200 and. Four billion worth of assets. Washington Mutual was the first largest. It had about 307 billion, I believe, when it collapsed in 2008. When SVB it had over 200, I believe 204 billion in it, and it just collapsed a week or two, or just a few weeks ago. What I'm telling you, it was the second largest bank collapse in our history. We are seeing things unfold, showing us that we cannot put our trust in things of this world. Natural disasters have literally bankrupted insurance and even federal aid. They've paid out until they can't even pay out anymore. We've got fraudulent bureaucrats that have lined their pockets with the money that comes from hard-working taxpayers. This is where we live today. Some feel that materialism is more important than the life of an unborn child. 
and they would rather say, oh, I'd rather have stuff. Or if I have a baby, I'm not ready to have a baby. I want a new car. We put value in materialism in America more than we have in the life of unborn innocent children. God, help us is my prayer. And the day could come, you mark it down, when preachers will get up and they will preach against sin. They will call out hot topics. They'll speak to many things that the world deems as offensive. And when they say these things and when they talk about these things, I'm afraid that even the day may come that we may even be called out for hate crimes, possibly even be prosecuted or threatened because we are simply trying to preach what thus saith the Lord. That is where we are when we preach against sin. And it's, I'm telling you, and we're going to suffer maybe more than someone that even murders somebody. We are in that day and age to where this is the future of our world. This is the future we can look forward to. Everybody happy. Everyone, everyone, everyone in the world today, I may need just a little less monitor taken out on that. Everyone in the world today is looking towards the future. But the future of this world is not very bright. The future of this world is a little shaky. When I look at the future of the world, I get a little uneasy. But there is one ship in the sea that is still sailing straight it is still on course there is one anchor that still is settled it will never move it has always stood the test of time there is one investment that never falters that never fails and that is the church of the living God when everything else is faltering when everything else is failing there is one thing that will last and that is the church of the living God now some of you are sitting here and you're saying today Oh my goodness, I know a church that closed. I'm not talking about physical locations. And I'm not talking about just a church down the road that, that, that refused to change and, and wouldn't make changes necessary in order to grow their church. And they hated on the young people. And they talked about the young people. All they could dwell in was the good old days and they never could move forward. That's not what I'm talking about. Yes, those institutions may fail. But there's one thing that will not fail, and that is the church of Jesus Christ. What is that? That is the blood-bought, born-again believers. That are those that are saved and washed by the blood of the Lamb. Let me tell somebody today, if you are going to invest in something, invest in the church of Jesus Christ. It is still strong. Look at the future of the church. Look, look at the future of the church with me today. Time Magazine reported a while back that people are going back to church. They even said that the baby, baby boomers are starting to go back to the house of God. The issue was those that were 30 and below that had not really, they've, they've stopped going. They really don't like in-house service. But today we got a lot of 30 and below sitting in this house today. Somebody ought to shout amen. So what does that tell me? You know, when I look at the church, don't believe it when you hear that the church is going down because I'm telling you, our future is bright. When you look at pre-COVID numbers and there's still churches that are struggling 
and there's still churches that haven't reached their attendance but I'm telling you we have been climbing and going right back to where we were and even surpassing some weeks and the reason we're doing that is because of the goodness of God and people are coming back to the church I want you to know that our future is not something that we should be disgruntled about that we should be dismayed about we should be encouraged today that our future is bright this is God's church now I'm going to keep it very very simple for everybody in this house today three simple points and I'm going to send you home are you ready all you note takers here we go number one I want to tell you at our about our involvement in the future the first point the church is moving in the church is moving in it's in the book of Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 the Bible tells us he said the gates of hell it's a popular scripture we all know it the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church right now what do you see when you read this verse many of us see the opposite of what Jesus was really talking about because every time that I've ever preached it I've preached it from a defensive standpoint which simply means that we're defending our territory we're defending our turf in other words all of hell is gonna come against us right and they're gonna try to knock down our doors it's like the big bad wolf and the three little pigs who was the one chasing whom it was the wolf that was chasing the pigs and the wolf chased them into their little house we'll call it their little church got them boxed in in their little space you know what I'm saying what they call the worship center the sanctuary and he got them all bunched up in that house he said I'm gonna blow this house down I'm gonna blow it down and I'm telling you that's the way we see it sometimes the mentality is that the devil is attacking the church oh he's gonna blow our house down he's fighting against our marriages he's doing this he's doing that but I want you to see something that I see in this verse so while some see the church as using every ounce of their strength it can muster up just to keep the enemy or the devil from barging in on them that hold but let's just hold the fort till Jesus comes that attitude prevails everywhere all that oh we're barely making it how are y'all doing we're hanging in there is this really the message that Jesus gave in Matthew 16, 18? He did not say the church is moving out. He said the church is going to move in. And I want to show you exactly what happens here. When you think about the word gates, right? Gates. Gates don't move. If you got one at your house today, I want you to go and I want you to stand. Now, you can open it up. You can close it like a door, right? That's what they are, basically a door. You can do that. But I want you to stand there all day long till you go to bed. I want to see if that gate moves. Anybody willing to do it? Is anybody dumb enough to do it would be the better question here. Because we all know we can stare at the gate like a cow does at, at, at a new gate. Or, a, a, you know, just sit. I, I worked about the other day and there's like a light pole in the middle of one that. That cow is just sitting there staring at the light pole. We can stare at it like that as if something new is happening, something strange going on, some oddity is going on. 
But let me tell you about this gate. It doesn't move. It doesn't just get up and move around. We can stare at it as long as we want to. But see, I want you to see this right here. This is not what God is saying. The visual here is the church. The church, not the devil. See, the church is not on the defensive in this scripture. It is on the offensive. Do you understand what that means? The defensive means that we're standing here and we're going to defend our territory. The offensive means that we're moving into another territory. The offensive is the attack. And see, that's exactly what I want you to understand. The visual that God is giving us is the church moving against the gates of hell themselves. And the point is that the gates of hell are not strong enough to keep us out if we want to get in. So in other words, I want you to understand this very quickly. Before, watch, watch. If there's places, I, I, I've been in cities and they say, oh man, we used to have a church. As a matter of fact, I know it right there in Hartsville where our church was. It was overtaken by drugs. It was overtaken by drugs. They literally had a community that came in. It just got rough around there and drugs everywhere. Just a bad neighborhood. And you've seen it happen in your side of the woods maybe as well. I used to pastor in Georgetown. God help us, Jesus. I had a guy across the street that would do karate in the middle of the night at like 1 o'clock in the morning. He was high on something really good, I guess. I've seen him hand off things to people they drive by bikes. Those guys are professionals. They can make a money swap, drug swap with one hand, not even miss a beat. Like they give him five and he'd walk back in the house. Biggest drug rink I'd ever seen around. Right there across. If they wanted to set up tent, they could have set it up in my house and they could have seen it. They could have caught them. They could have busted them. And what I'm telling you is there's areas that have been overtaken by prostitution. They've been overtaken by drugs. They've been overtaken by, by these unnatural affection, these spirits of homosexuality and all of these things. I'm telling you, these spirits, they get a, a hold on, on universities. They get a hold on cities. They get a hold on towns but what God says of the church the future of the church is not that you sit in your four walls like the three little pigs and just wait on the devil to attack you you move into his territory and you say the church is coming in and we're going to claim it back for God we come against those drugs in the name of Jesus we come against those spirits in the name of the Lord and there is nothing that can stop the church from moving in that's what God is saying in Matthew 16, 18. And I'm telling you, Satan has set some gates up in your life. There's some that are addicted by things. All he's trying to do is to box us in. To lock us into this little space where we become a shell of a man or a shell of a woman. We have no real purpose. We have, have no real distinction as to who we are. And the devil will try to block us in. But I'm telling somebody today that God says you aren't going to stay in there forever. It is time for you to attack. He'll come to our churches. He'll try to box us in. He'll try to keep us from victory. He'll try to keep us from revival. But I'm telling you it's time for us to go against the gates of hell. It is time for us to storm them and say you are not the kingdom. No, no, no. This kingdom is God's. The kingdom of God will prevail. This is not yours. It's ours. There's a penetrating power. There's a penetrating power that God has given us. 
Our power is not obsolete. The penetration means there's an ability to go through. Our power is not obsolete, meaning no longer in use or useless. They take warplanes all the time and they ground them when it is determined they cannot leave base. They cannot fly in the enemy territory anymore. They can't drop their bones and, uh, bombs and return safely. They are grounded. They lose their penetrating power. They become obsolete. They become outdated. But I declare today to you and to the church that we are still moving in. That we are taking back territory that many years ago we willingly gave up. We're pulling down strongholds. We are gaining ground on every corner every single day. We're going places we've never been before. We don't know what the word retreat means and we're not letting the enemy get away. Do you remember that old testimony people used to get up and they used to say I'm going to give the devil a black eye? Anybody? In other words, what they were saying is we're coming in and the devil cannot stop us. The church is moving in. Secondly, the church is reaching out. I want you to understand this is so important. This is the future and the present work of the church. Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, had it stayed in Pentecost, it would have died. If it had only stayed in the upper room, it would have become obsolete. But guess who came out of the upper room? 120 believers that had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they said, we are reaching out to those around us. Satan would love to box us in. Satan would love for us to keep our religion and our sanctification and our Holy Ghost filling. He'd love for us to keep it on the inside. That's why some of you have so much of a problem sometimes when you're around somebody at work and something in you raises up and says you need to invite that person to church. And you start sweating and your hands get clammy and you're sitting here thinking to yourself, oh my God, I can't do that. That's because the enemy is fighting against you because you're about to reach out to someone. If the devil could have kept them in the upper room at Pentecost, Pentecost would have died, and today we would not be here. But 120 people came out of that room. They were walking like Jesus. They were talking like Jesus. And they were ministering like Jesus. They were speaking in tongues. Speaking in other tongues. As the Spirit gave the utterance. See, in order to reach the world, we must do that. We must come out of this. See, listen, we come to church so often. It, it's so bad because we leave the same way we came. But God give us another Pentecost. That when we walk out of those doors, we walk out like Jesus. We're talking like Jesus. We're acting like Jesus. We're loving like Jesus. We're ministering like Jesus. We are reaching out to those outside of our four walls. We talked a little bit the other week about Acts chapter 3. And we talked about Peter and John, the lame man who's begging of alms or money, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And the Bible said immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Have you ever tried that? Anybody ever walked by somebody in a wheelchair and be like, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk? Anybody ever tried it in the house? All right, now I know why we don't do it. 
I just figured it out because we don't try it. The work of the church since Pentecost, it is reaching and reaping. In Joel 3.13, he said, you put in that sickle. He says, it is time. The harvest is ripe. It is ready. In Luke 10, it was reiterated. He said, the harvest truly is great. It is ready. But the laborers are few. The problem, I've said it for years, the problem has never been the harvest. There will always be a harvest. There's always somebody that needs to hear about Jesus. There's always someone that is waiting for you to give them hope on a day that they feel hopeless. There is always someone that is sitting there saying, God, I wish somebody would just tell me they care today. It's always going to be that way. Depression is at an all-time high. Our world is in a wreck. I'm telling you, the problem is not the harvest. The problem are the laborers. Even Jesus had the issue. And he said, you just pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his vineyard or his harvest to reap them. We've got to reach out. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. Let me read this before I move on to my last point. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown tongue, they will think you're crazy. But I want you to see the word at the top. Even so, you ready for number three? Anybody know what that word is? It's really little. You could miss it if I read it fast. But it said, if. That's the big word that I'm worried about. He's given us instruction and saying, let all things be done decent and in order. I know that. That's not what I'm here to preach. My point that I want to preach is if unbelievers come in. So the question is, how do you get unbelievers into the house of God? Well, it means someone has to go out and actually get them. It means somebody has to reach them. You know, we love the Holy Ghost, don't we? Woo! Everybody love the Holy Ghost, right? The Holy Spirit. And you'll hear me say this. This is another line. Dylan, next time you let stone do it, you can use this one. Here's the thing. The, God didn't give you the Holy Ghost just so you could shout. God gave you the Holy Ghost so you could witness and reach out to a lost and dying world. That's the purpose for the Holy Ghost. And then when we reach the harvest, the Bible said you will come in with joy and with shouting. All right? So we reach out. We reach the harvest. We get them in, we rejoice with them, they're brought into the fold, and then we'll shout hallelujah together. We rejoice because the Lord of the harvest has brought them in. That's the purpose of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to leave you with this. I, I, I was, I, I've read many different surveys and things like this, but let me tell you this before I move on to my next point. It was said, you, you often wonder, how does a church grow? It's a question that we often ask. It is asked in every church conference. You pay hundreds of dollars, some of them thousands, to go for a three-night conference to hear some big wig speak to things that we already, if we got common sense, we already know them. And they go in there and they give us a little book about a $3.99 pamphlet, $3.99 you paid for that many, many times over. They won't even feed you lunch. you got to go buy your lunch. 
We spend all this money. We're trying to learn new tactics. We're trying to come home and start a new group. We're trying to figure it out. Why ain't my church growing? Why ain't my church doing good? I mean, there's got to be something. You know, there, there's, some, there's some silver bullet out there. If I could just hear a pastor just tell me what that silver bullet is, I'm going to use it at my church. And we go and we listen and we take notes. And we realize when we come home, it is very simple. That 82%, still today, updated stat as of 2022, that 82% of people said that if a friend invited them to church, they would come. That's staggering. I know what the problem is with church growth. It is not that you need a new pastor. The problem is that we, and I include myself because I'm part of the congregation, we aren't reaching out nearly as much as we should. Because if we reached out like we should, we would have to expand this church because we would not have enough seats in here. Because 80, do you realize 82%, that's 8.2, I don't know how we get that, but that's what Matt says, 8.2 out of 10 people are going to come to church if a friend walks up to them and says, man, we got a special service next week, I would love to see you there, would you come? 82%, I want that to sink in, this is the future of the church. It is not the pastor that you get. It is not a new connect group that you start. The future of the church is in our hands. We determine whether or not we have a future. God's going to be there for us. God's going to bless us. The Holy Spirit is here, willing and ready to move. He is waiting on the church to reach out. And see, here's the deal. And I'm not doing a growth conference. Maybe I should. Here's the deal. What I believe is simply this. There are people that are waiting for you to ask them to come experience Jesus. And I believe it's that simple. The church is moving in. The church is reaching out. And I'm going to leave you with this thought. And it excites me to my core that the church is moving up. See, here's the deal. Why is the church reaching out so important? Because the church is moving up. I'm going to say that again because some of you missed it. Why is it so important that I reach out to the world? The reason it's important is because as a church, as a Christian, as a Bible reader, I know how the story ends. And it ends with victory for the believer. I know we're not going to be here forever. We are the bride of Christ. It excites me. We are the saved ones. We have been called out. The bridegroom is about to call us away. In, in Ephesians, when he told us, he said, husbands, love your wives. He says, even as Christ loved the church, he gave himself for it, that he might sanctify her, cleanse her, with the washing of the water of the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing. But that it should be holy. And without blemish. God is prepping us for his return. 
That is why we preach. That is why we read this book called the Bible. Because God is getting us ready to go out of here. It's in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Let me show you what God says. He said, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. This is important. And to wait for his son from heaven, the return of Christ, whom he raised from the dead. We're celebrating that in Easter next week. Even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath that is to what? This is future wrath which is to come. God says you are not going to be a part of my wrath. I am going to save the church from the wrath that is coming on the world. I want to leave you with this. In Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, it is very clear that God is speaking to the church. For 19 times from chapter 1 to the end of chapter 3, God said the church, the church of Ephesus, the church of Thyatira, the church of Philadelphia, the church of Laodicea. And we believe church ages, which means that we are living in what is known as a Laodicean church age. Where people are neither hot, they're neither cold, they are simply lukewarm. So if we believe the church ages in that way, it is very significant what happens in chapter 4 and verse 1. After these things I looked and behold a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a what? He hears a trumpet that is speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place, what? After this event. And that event, what we believe, is the Lord Jesus Christ coming back. It is so important because God showed John heaven before he showed him the earth. He wanted him to understand, you don't have to worry about what's going on down there. Because you are not going to be down there. You're going to be up here with me. I'm coming back for my church. Now, it is very interesting. It's very interesting. And I was reading some stuff just the other day. And it's interesting because the church is not mentioned from chapter 4 all the way until chapter 19. The church is not mentioned again. But she is with the bridegroom in chapter 19. She is not crying. She is not fighting for her life. But she is eating. She's enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb once and for all. That's the next time we see the church after the rapture. Go ahead and play, Sandra. I'm closing. Here's the deal. I was doing some studying the other week. For you that have not been here on Wednesday nights, you just don't know what you're missing. I'm going to tell you. It has been really, really good. Really good. We have been talking a little bit. We talked a little bit about the coming of Christ. And I always want to teach on it. I just never have time because I'm not in Revelation yet. But I will give you a quick synopsis. See, what people say about pre-tribbers, I'll call us, mean that we believe the Lord's going to come back before the Great Tribulation starts. Everybody still with me? Seven years of Great Tribulation. Pre-tribbers believe at the sound of a trumpet, what I just read to you in chapter 4 and verse 1. They believe. Pre-tribbers take that and we say, oh, that's when God's taking us. But many have come in and they say, well, that's called escape theology. 
meaning it's the easy way, and everybody wants the easy way, right? And so they start saying, well, maybe there's mid-tribulation. And it's interesting, you can do studies for yourself, but when you look at the mid-tribulation and you correlate what Matthew said, Jesus said in Matthew 24, what was going to happen, and then you open up the book of Revelation and you start seeing earthquakes, all right? Earthquake revelation. Famine in the land. Famine revelation. Now, obviously, it's after chapter 4. This is chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. The bowls are being loosed on the earth. And so some people, all the way to chapter 14, they believe that in that moment, the Bible says that it came down from heaven and there was a sickle that was put in the earth, much like what we read in the New Testament. There's a sickle put down and he reaps the harvest. And then secondly, right after that, it's a clear distinct event that after the first sickle is dropped, the second one is the sickle of wrath. And those that are left behind are going to suffer. And so many that believe mid-trib believe, well, it's going to happen for three and a half years. Now those that believe post-trib are saying, well, the Lord's not going to come back until the end of the seven years. Well, I'm going to go and tell you something. I'm so pre, I don't even eat post-cereal, all right? And I'm going to take it right now. Post-tribalism, uh, I don't believe it. I do not believe it for a minute. Because that is, the last three and a half years is the wrath of God that is being poured out on the nations. And I don't believe God's going to take her bride and beat her up. Leave her half dead. He's not going to make us suffer through that mess. He's pulling us out of here. So I can't go with you post people. Now the, the pre and the mid, we can have a debate for a little while and figure out which one's right but I'm telling you either way this is why God told us a long time ago to the church and to the world he said you need to quit trying to figure out whether you're a pre-tripper a mid-tripper or a post-tripper what you need to make sure is that your sins are under the blood of the lamb because this is the deal watch for no man knows the day nor the hour when the son of man for if he knew the day that the thief was breaking into the house Modern version, he would get his shotgun and have it cocked and ready at the door. He'd be ready when the strong man came into the house and he'd bind him. Modern term, he'd shoot him. Because he knew when he was coming. He says, don't try to do God that way. Because you don't know when he's coming. You just be ready. I was reading something the other day. It's kind of an interesting thing I never thought of. But one guy said, you know, I've been wondering if we're already in the tribulation. Don't even realize it yet. Has this thing even kicked off? I'm going to tell you something, folks. I don't know. I don't claim to be a theologian. But I'm going to tell you one thing I know. Do know. That those that have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, they shall overcome the devil by the word of their testimony. And I know one thing, that the trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise, and then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together. That's the future of the church. It is not defeated. It is not depression. We're going up. Hallelujah. Somebody give him praise in the house. Let's stand. I'm closing. I'm closing. Don't lose hope in this dark hour. The church of Jesus Christ is going up. And I am so glad today that I am part of this church. There's a lot wrong with the church. 
But there's still a lot of things that are right with the church. And the future of the church is powerful. You saw it with babies on stage this morning. And children on stage this morning. You saw it today. You look around you and you see it. You go in our kids' ministry. And you go in our nurseries. And you go look at them. And you're going to figure out that the future of the church is bright. You're going to figure out the best is not behind us. But if you believe the word, while the world gets worse and while the world goes to hell in a handbasket for those that will call on the name of the Lord and be saved, I'm telling you, the church, the best is yet to come. Our best days are ahead of us. Lift up your head, children of God. Your redemption is drawing nigh. The altars are open today. If you want to spend some time with Jesus, I don't want to hinder you from doing so. Oh, God, we praise you today. We praise you today. Oh, when I think about you, Jesus.
Sunday is next week, April 9th. Listen, I challenge you, I challenge you to try the statistics 